Good morning. Great. Thank you, choir. That was wonderful. Um, be sure to offer your words of encouragement. That's a lot of hard work. Thanks to Clay. I know he's going through a lot of sickness lately, and so for him to be able to lead the choir, we're so thankful for your hard work um, in doing so. What a glory to God. And it's great to see your faces uh, for a change. So great to see you up here. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke 3. We're going to talk about a character that really doesn't get a lot of press during Christmas season. Uh, but we all know, according to the church calendar, this is Advent season. This is the first uh, season of the church year. It starts with Advent, if you didn't know that. And, and we follow the life of Christ all the way through um, the year. And so with Advent, what that means is the coming uh, of Christ. And it means the first coming but also looking toward the second coming of our Lord. And so that, that's the, the meaning of Advent. And so John the Baptist is actually an appropriate character to look at during this Christmas season. Um, for thousands of years, the church calendar has focused on the coming of our Lord. So we're going to do that again today and look at um, the words and the life of John the Baptist. So Luke 3, before I read, if you'll ponder this question. What is the trajectory of your life? What is the trajectory of your life? What are you moving toward? What's the end goal of your life? Let's read uh, chapter 3, 1 through, and I'll read through uh, 18. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of the region of Etruria and Traconius, Lasinus, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went up in all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, 
the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, this is your word. And we have heard your word read and sung already. Let this be another droplet of truth and grace in our hearts that we may be moved to see your glory, to revel in your glory alone, to enjoy you, to glorify you forever. Lord, thank you for calling us here today. Holy Spirit, teach us now. And Lord, may the words of my heart, meditations that come out of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. John was the prophet par excellence. He was the final prophet, final Old Testament prophet, but he came with a point to declare the coming of the Messiah that he's here. He is actually here, the one you've heard of for ages. He is now here, and I'm telling you about him. This was John's message. Our main point today is this. God calls you away from self-glory and toward his glory. That's our trajectory. That's what our trajectory should be in our lives, from self-glory to looking at his glory. How do we do that? Well, two points. First is repentance. Repentance is huge in the life of a believer of anyone. Repentance toward God, away from self. Second point is recognize Christ and run to him. So three R's. Repentance, recognize, run. That's what we want to see briefly this morning in this passage. And again, there's a lot in this passage today that I'm not going to pull out. It's going to be a brief exhortation. And I hope that it will stir up some thoughts as you enter uh, family time this afternoon. Let's look at repentance. We can uh, look at John the Baptist's message with that main word, repentance. If, if, we were to, if somebody were to ask, what was John the Baptist's primary aim, we could answer it with repentance. He was calling people to look toward the Messiah who has landed in time, space, and in that point in history, and is about to walk up. As he's baptizing people, he's preaching, here he comes. The Greek word metanoia means to turn 180 degrees from one thing into another. Look at verse 3 and verse 8. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And so he's, he's constantly telling folks, look, the way you're going is not correct. You need to turn and go the way I'm telling you. In fact, it's not just the way, it's a person. It's him who is coming. One Greek, Greek dictionary defines repentance as this, to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought an attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. That was long. I'm going to read it again. To change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. What in particular does John the Baptist point out here in this passage? What are two sins that he points out? First, I want to look at apathy. And uh, we can all fall prey to apathy in our faith. I think we can look at our own hearts and think, wow, 
How can I love God more? How can I serve God more? Well, John the Baptist calls this out here in verses 8 and 9. Look here with me. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What's he saying? Well, that generation was apathetic. Basically saying, yeah, we're in, the, we're in the bloodline. We're in. We're in the bloodline. Abraham's our father. We're good. Resting on the laurels of their bloodline, they were not really living lives of true repentance toward God, of true faith in him, and definitely not true recognition of the Messiah that had landed in Palestine at that time. Apathy is a warning to us all. In this time and space we are in now, we have to be careful that we're not apathetic of what our parents have done. We're not apathetic of the family bloodline we may have. And youth, I want to charge you even this morning, don't rest on your parents' faith. This is a chance for you to think about, where is my faith? What am I anchored in? Am I living a life of repentance? As you enter into high school and especially into college, you begin to grapple with who am I and what do I believe? And you'll be hit hard with those questions if you're not prepared even now to start evaluating. So I encourage you, begin to evaluate your faith. Begin to evaluate your foundation, which you're living for. Apathy is real. It's not just real for youth, it's real for all of us. We can all fall prey to an apathetic heart toward God and his kingdom. So that's the first thing. He exhorts the people, the crowds, many people that were coming, watch out, watch your heart, know Christ. Secondly, he warns of materialism. Look at verses 10 through 14, I won't read it all, but basically the crowds ask, well, what then, what? Bearing fruit of repentance, what does that mean? What are we to do? What does it look like? What does true repentance look like? What's the fruit of it? It's very interesting if you've never noticed this before, but his answers are a convergence of economic, economics and ethics. You ever notice that? He didn't respond with, uh, say a prayer and you're okay for the rest of your life. Or he didn't respond with, go to church every day of your life. He didn't respond with, um, help, help uh, those who are next in the pew to you. Or check the box uh, on the church service roll. What did he say? To the crowds, give your extra tunics like an undershirt. Give your extra tunic for one who has none. Okay? Sharing material things to the tax collectors what's he say don't collect more than you're supposed to do your job with equity what's he say to the soldiers don't use your authority for more than you should don't threaten people and try to get more money than you're paid for be content with what you have and with what you have share be open handed give to those who are next to you why does he go there? Why does he go to that point? I've often asked that, and I've been challenged even this week to examine it more. I believe it was this. It was to loosen our grip, their grip, even our grip, on materials and money. And we need to hear this. 
this Christmas season, don't we? It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. I want to put this out here first. To give gifts, to give, receive gifts during the Christmas season. But if we ever need to hear a challenge on materialism, it is now. So we often can lose sight and, and fall into apathy via materialism. Because we're not tracing the sunbeams back to the sun. We're taking joy in just the sunbeam, the gift. These gifts are, are very good. They're from God's hand. But we should trace these gifts back to the grand giver of all things. Money and materials were talked about by Jesus more than heaven and hell combined. I don't know if you realize that. But he talked about it a lot. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And listen to this. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And listen to this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now we all know whether we have a lot of money or don't have much money, we're all susceptible to greed and covetousness. Doesn't matter. You're a human. Whether you're rich or poor, you can default to greed. It's in the heart. You can get rid of all your materials, you can give away all your money and still be a greedy person. So it's not as easy as just getting, getting rid of all your material. You've got to do a lot of hard work, thinking, okay, what is my disposition to the gifts that God has given me? Am I willing to share open-handedly? Am I willing to give even when it hurts? We're prone to make idols of these things, and this is why I think John went right there. He went right to the heart. To trust in money and toys for status or for significance or for ultimate joy is idolatry. Because we all know they let us down, right? You know, we've all been around the Christmas tree where the kids open the gifts, right? And you get the first one and they're so joyful. And they get it and they're excited and then, where's the next one? Right? Where's the next one? We're no different as adults. We often, our hearts are quick to run to the next thing because what are we looking for? Ultimate joy. And John says, you can't get it from just gaining. Life is gift, not gain. Life is gift, not gain. And when we learn that message, we are free. This is why I think John takes them there. I love Randy, Randy Alcorn. He's written a lot about this topic. He's got a little book called The Treasure Principle, and he states this. Quote, My friend Dixie Fraley told me, We are most like God when we are giving. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you become a, more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. Let me say that again. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become a giver. More of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. I love that last line. Because sometimes we think, Oh, God loves a cheerful giver. I've got to wait till I'm cheerful, then I'll give. 
<laughs> Good luck with that. Um, what God calls us to is obedience, even when we don't feel like it, deep in our hearts. And in that obedience, God moves us toward more Christ-like living. So repentance. John the Baptist hews in on that. Repentance. What's it look like? That's the fruit. Look at your pocketbook. What's it look like? Do you share materials? Things to ponder this Advent season. Main point, too, is recognize Christ and run to Him. (laughs) I think after hearing that, we can all go, oh my goodness, man, I need to grow in giving. I need to turn loose of this toy or this object or my idolatry of my bank account or my covetousness of a better job that pays more money. What do we need? We need a Savior. We can pelt ourselves. We can hammer ourselves all we want. But this should, this should move us to repentance, to saying, I've got a bad heart. Lord, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. This is where John takes us. John the baptizer, he confronts and urges people away from things but toward what or who? Look at verses 15 through 17. The people were in expectation. They were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is, get this, mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. I can't even tie his shoelaces. I'm unworthy. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Many thought John was the Christ. He had such a powerful message. He was a radical guy out in the wilderness of Jordan. There's nothing but shrubbery and desert and rocks and a little trickle of the Jordan River. And here he is preaching repentance unto God and so many people thought are you the Christ? they actually asked him that in John 1 we'll look at that in just a minute many thought he was the Christ yet John the Baptist's concern was to highlight the king of glory the one who is coming who is mightier if you remember in John he says I must decrease but he must increase in the gospel of John he says this I must decrease He must increase. What a mantra of life that we could have. John here includes the great news. If you notice, uh, Luke says in 18, with many exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. Well, if you just heard what he said, the verse before, the threshing floor, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, you may think, whoa, that doesn't sound like good news. Well, you need to hear the bad news before the good news is good. The bad news makes the good news so much better, so much greater, so much more beautiful. The bad news is this, that we are all sinful. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and yet God has provided a way out, a Redeemer. The good news of Christ. You know, there's two types of fire in the Bible. There's the fire of purification, and then there's the fire of punishment. And both are real. John speaks of the Holy Spirit baptizing with fire. That's the purification of the heart, making a new heart, new desires, a new constitution, a new person 
moving us in sanctification. But then in the end it says, there is unquenchable fire. Hell is real. It is a punishment for those who do not turn to Christ with their lives, who do not live lives of repentance. We should take note of that. It should cause us to look inwardly to our faith, look inwardly to where we are and look up to our Savior who can save us in Him alone. John the Baptist, in effect, says, Choose one. Follow Jesus and be refined by the fire of the Spirit. Or follow yourself in your own glory and you'll be punished in the fire of judgment. This is good news because a warning is good news, right? Now let's pretend for a minute that there's a lion outside that door. Now there's not really, kids. There's not really a lion outside the door. So just pretending... And let's just say I'm the only one in the room that knew that lion was outside the door and then I gave the benediction and said nothing about the lion outside the door. Would that be good news? No. It's an absence of good news. Actually, good news says, wait, don't go out. There's a lion outside the door. You're going to be eaten. That would be good news, right? Because I'm, I'm helping you live. I mean, it's not good news to the lion out there. We're going to call the zoo or whoever. Whatever. Somebody else is going to come get him. I'm not. Maybe the deacons. Um, <laughs> Riley could handle it. But this is why this is called good news. Often we think of John the Baptizer as this crazy hellfire and brimstone. Yes, he was. And yes, that was good news. Because we need the warnings to understand how great our sin is, how awful the punishment of God, the wrath of God is against sin, and how much we are cosmic traitors, and we need Jesus to come in and swoop in and save us. That's what makes Jesus so beautiful. It's what makes him the light of the world. In John chapter 1, there's another mantra that John stated, and I'm going to near closing with this. They ask him, are you the Christ? He says, I am not the Christ. We had a professor, I may have told you this before, in seminary that every class he would have us stand up and say it. Everybody, stand up. I'm not the Christ. I'm not telling you to stand up right now. I am not the Christ. There's power in it. I often say it in my prayers every morning to release myself of of thinking that I've got to save the day in my own life or the lives of others. I am not the Christ. John knows his place and he points like a beaming light, a spotlight to the Lord. I remember years ago when I was a server my senior year in college in Montgomery, had the privilege of getting to know the chef really well. His name is David. And um, we started studying the book of John together. He was not a believer. And eventually he came to Christ. And, and I'll never forget one of his excited moments. He came to me and said, Caleb, I've been reading John. And John the Baptist was like this guy in a totally dark room with a flashlight saying, here's the light. Look at Jesus. Yeah, that's it. That's it. This is what John's all about. Pointing people to the light so that we may be seekers of the light as our choir so beautifully have sung. We may seek the light and live in the light. John the Baptizer's calling was not to glorify himself. 
could see that many myriads of ways that it was to point to Jesus. So John proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I want to urge you this morning, wherever you are, whatever your thoughts are about Christianity, the beauty of the gospel is that you are worse than you think you are. But Christ has offered you more love than you can ever imagine. You're worse than you think you are. On your worst day, it's even worse than that. Your worst thought, think of it, it's, it's far worse than that. And this is why Jesus had to come, because we cannot deliver ourselves. This is why John the Baptist came and said, Nuh-uh, it's not about my glory. It's about the glory of God. And likewise today, he calls each one of us to say, Yes, it's not about me. It's not about my glory. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ seeking his face. So I want to ask you this morning, what is the trajectory of your life? Ponder that this afternoon. Think about the glory of Christ and where is your barrier of moving toward his glory and jumping past your own glory, turning away in repentance and faith to Christ. Give that some thought. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us with good news. The good news often feels like bad news, yet it is glorious news that you have warned us. And not only have you warned us through John the Baptist and many prophets, but you have provided promise, the fulfillment to your promise, who is Christ, and in him all things are yes and amen. Draw us near, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to please let's stand together.